it going, everybody? Episode 97 of Beards of Tech. It is the 5th of July, and boy, do we have a lot of tech news to talk about, despite the fact that almost nothing happened this week. Um, so, without getting into it, uh, yesterday was a holiday in the United States. Kind of a kind of like the V holiday in the U.S. if you're if you consider yourself a patriot, but like like I was mentioning in the pre-roll that got destroyed. Uh, we had done a little bit of audio before this, but there was a bit of a of an error that happened. Uh, hopefully, all of you left your milk and cookies and any of your grilled goods or alcoholic beverages out for Captain America, who visited the night of the Fourth of July as he does every year and as is tradition. So hopefully you all left your goods out for him so that way he could pay you a visit and spread some of that patriotism your way and maybe drop off a firework or something if you were a good child that year. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully you uh, practice July 4th uh, while social distancing and wear masks. Yeah, pyrotechnics from a distance. Yes, always. As it should be. (laughs) Pandemic (laughs) or not. (laughs) Yes, who'd have thought that the 4th of July was the natural holiday to socially distance on? Because you can't get near people who have things that are on fire, so that mm-hmm. works out. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, so that happened, but on top of that... You say uh, that this... not a lot of happened, not a lot of stuff happened this past week, which is a fact, but we haven't done a show in a couple of weeks, and there's been yeah. some things that have happened that uh, I know you and I've been playing with and then there's some interesting topics to talk about for sure. Um, it turns out if you just wait, tech news is always interesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Time will fix that. Yeah. Because there's, so the, the what's been happening is life for those of you who are wondering um, why the episodes are a little more infrequent, but also um, it kind of comes at a good time because not only is life a little bit busier for all of us, but this is also arguably the slowest point in the year in terms of tech news, um, especially given the pandemic, because events like Google's I.O. and um, other events have all been canceled, like E3 and stuff like that. So there's not really a whole lot going on in technology. Um, and I think we would have even had there's the one conference in Germany that I can't remember the name of, which would have happened, I think, already by now. Um, no, I think it is IFA. I think you're right. The one that Samsung attends, but no other mobile providers attend in Germany. Um, yeah, I think it's IFA. I think you're right. But um, the pandemic kind of stopped all those conferences from happening. So it's been a little bit dry this point in the year. So we got Everyone's some spicy been doing news. their virtual uh, announcements, including one uh, big fruit company. Um, mm-hmm. Did their... <laughs> virtual announcements and that was uh wwdc which was uh uh quite different um as a virtual uh conference but i i sort of liked it uh quite a bit um i enjoyed it was a good one yeah i mean it's apple so it was quite a <laughs> different than all the other virtual conferences that i've seen uh put a yeah. lot of money and effort into it <laughs> i was it really was, uh, very obvious yeah. i was really wondering how they were going to handle the lack of an audience but I think they handled that just about as good as any as they could have really like they they 
did a, they put on a great show the cinematography was wonderful and then also the one thing i thought was cool was that um you got a lot of angles of apple's campus that i don't think you would have otherwise gotten if you had a normal uh event so yeah. like w- what they did was like they panned over into like the office building where they were like in some hallways and then they like flew out into the central building and then they were on the floors that are usually reserved for the displays after the the conference like you know how yeah. they like have the staircase drop down and then mm-hmm. people can go into the the little room and play with all the toys yeah they had that room was empty and then also it looks like they they did a thing where they it looked like they were going way underground to the mac lab <laughs> I want to and, know uh, if that's a set or if that's what the actual lab looks like. I really yeah. want to know that. That was like straight out of Bill Nye the Science Guy. Like <laughs> it was a straight up lab. Yeah. So it they, looks like they it went through been a like set. the drain of the fountain inside of like this. <laughs> yeah. This this is where our hidden lab is underground. Yeah. Eight to hundred feet underground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so what it I, seemed I, like. I thought it was a cool show, and, and I encourage anybody to go, and I'm sure they have the recording of that online, and you yep. can watch the highlights of it. So I encourage anyone to check that out, just because of like how interesting it was. And um, another thing that I thought was cool about it was you didn't have the shaky, nervous Apple developer on stage talking about his specific area that he worked on after like Craig Federighi and uh, Tim Apple and all those guys. And... Um, <laughs> And, uh, and I think that, um, that made for a better show because those people are normally talking in front of a thousand plus people and naturally their voice is a little bit trembly or they're like shaking or a little nervous. But since they're in front of a camera with unlimited numbers of takes, they can just get it right. And it, and it, And it, it looked very confident. Yeah. And as a person who does live demos all the time, live demos suck. And they always go wrong. There's always something mm-hmm. that goes awry. And when you yep. when you know that um, you can just redo it because it's a recording and get it uh, as close to perfect as possible. Yeah, it comes off more polished for sure. Yeah. Um, although you didn't but, get uh, the, the typical um, um, reactions from the crowd that you're used to all the cheering that you get from all the employees that join those meetings as well the employees and the the cheering gets louder as they take more shots and all that stuff but yeah you don't get that but uh but they did they did actually talk about some pretty cool stuff yeah there was was despite the fact that it was jam jam packed show yeah like not only was it a cool looking show but the stuff they talked about was basically like if anybody who's listening has ever jailbroken an iphone (laughs) the best way i can describe this conference for you is that it is a jailbreak wish list and short of people who are attempting like piracy or the that side of jailbreaking um it's basically like every reason you would have previously had to jailbreak has now been given to you in ios 14 um and you and i have both been playing with the beta for I feel like I feel like uh, MKBHD. I'd be like, we've been playing with the beta for a little over a week now, and here's our thoughts. <laughs> but <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I installed but, um, it that day, the same, same. day. Um, same. And I I dove all in and I installed it on all my devices. Um, oh really? Made, Is it on the watch too? Yeah, on the watch Ooh. too. Um, so. <laughs> 
Uh, things been okay, actually. It's it's uh, more stable than to I think past betas. I haven't had. Yeah, I just have it on many, the phone. I was many, I was many, playing many it issues. safe, and uh, the the phone had uh, the phone's been really stable, which is surprising. I'm I'm pretty happy with it. My battery seems like it's a little less, but that's always true on betas. But uh, how's your experience been on the other devices? Other devices are fine. I'm the most the device I use most. The phone is has been fine on the on the uh, watch. One bug occurred, which I just tapped a notification and it rebooted. Um, but that only <laughs> occurred once, and then after that, it was fine. Um, but overall, my experience has been uh, pretty good in terms of betas and first beta developer beta. So we'll we'll uh, we're expected to get. Um, I think monthly uh, updates until the yeah. final release. Uh, so at some it's point in, in July we'll have yeah. Well September they might delay it. I don't know. Whenever the new iPhone launches, typically when they release it, uh, yeah. the new version of it. But there's some rumors that the, there might be delaying the uh, new iPhone launch. But uh, let's give a quick uh, high level overview of what was overall in on the software side of things quite a bit yeah. of stuff but maybe go through the big stuff um i know that one you're excited about is the new calling um screen. oh my god dude <laughs> i like I, i'm I, i'm pretty sure i screamed at my computer when i saw that not like a full screen but you know yeah. what i mean but i was like I, it was it was everything i had ever hoped for and more so in ios when you receive a call whether you're listening to music or you're on a podcast or you're watching YouTube or whatever, um, the complete context of whatever you're doing is obscured by the call. It just goes, you goes, can't, takes over your screen every single time. You can't time. escape it. Yeah. You can't escape it. You either have to hang up, leave a message, or accept the call. That's all you can do. Um <laughs> Which is awful. Like that is terrible user design. That should have gone away the second that background app apps worked on iOS. Yeah. Because that's because that's exactly what happened with Android. Android got background activity on apps, and then they were like, "Okay, cool. The phone no longer has to be the the front." And so we stuff it in a notification at the top, and that's exactly what iOS does. So it looks like you're getting a text message, and you have the options to call or dismiss at the top, or you can just swipe it up yeah. and mute the call. And Or you can swipe down and you can get into the uh, full screen that you're used yeah. to. If you swipe yeah. down on notification, you can do some further actions like to send a text message or whatever. All the typical, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that screen hasn't changed, but when you're actively using the phone, you get this nice little bar at the top that doesn't take over your entire screen. Um, yeah, and it's quite useful. Um, doesn't interrupt what you're doing, so you can continue. But I was like, oh, Matt's calling me. I'll just ignore him. Continue browsing Reddit. <laughs> um, um, I don't have to wait for him to go to voicemail before I yeah. go back to my Reddit session. Uh, <laughs> one of the one of the times I was um, I was cooking something and I was following a recipe, and um, I got a phone call, and the notification dropped down over the top of the, like the notification this is on the ios 14 beta what and i was in the middle of like doing a critical step in cooking and it was a spam call that i got right at that instant and um i don't know if this is true or not but i had, I had read somewhere that simply not acting on that 
uh, that call, if it's a spam caller, doesn't identify to that whoever's sending out those calls that you have an active number because you didn't act on that call. It just rang through and went to the voicemail or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that not acting on spam calls is better because you should probably get less as a result because you're not acting on that call. Yeah, you're not actively declining. You're just letting it ring through. Yeah, so that way they don't... Because if you decline, then it tells the person, hey, this is a real number. Keep There's calling a it. person behind this number. Keep calling. Yeah. <laughs> it might get yeah. through, yeah. I think that's true. I'm, I've never had confirmation one way or another, but I've always been working on that assumption that that's true, and I've had not that many spam calls as a result. Um, so... Now I'm able to do that because previously I'd be like listening to music and working and then I'd get a spam call or in my case following an important recipe at a critical point and I'm able to ignore that call and still read what's on my phone, which is super important. And that's kind of the the gist of the majority of this iOS update is enabling context-based uh, activities on the phone. So, like, a lot of things that were previously full-screen alerts were um, were basically given a notification or given their own little UI or whatever. Um, but I, I thought they weren't going to announce this phone thing <laughs> because they had gotten through the iOS segment of the conference and mentioned everything except that. And then the iPad section started, and then they just jumped right into it right there and i was so i was so relieved that i was teased for that long and then i finally got it but also they they made it sound like it was an ipad os thing and then Mm -hmm. they're like oh by the way this is also coming to ios it's like no why would you do that i was so mad i was like why are you making this an ipad thing (laughs) yeah i need this on the phone (laughs) yeah if i had like taken a a bathroom break or something i would have completely missed that one line Mm -hmm. yeah which is so frustrating. But um, yeah, so a couple of other features they have just to wrap it up is, it, like I said, it allows you to do other things while certain things are happening on the phone. So there's now picture-in-picture mode for iPhone, which means if you're watching a video and you close the app, you'll get this little box that has the video in it on top of your home screen. And you can move it around and resize it and all that fun stuff. Except for and YouTube, which will never support it. YouTube is trash on iOS. And by trash, I mean it's super far behind because it's the one app that still has a light mode splash screen even if you have night mode on. So <laughs> It like, doesn't follow look... what the, what the uh, phone is doing. It has its own setting to it. Yeah, so yeah. I go to open up the device and then my eyes get bleached by the splash screen. And it, I'll be like, it'll be like late at night too, so my eyes are adjusted to dark mode and to like low lights and then it's just full white screen in my face yeah. when youtube boots up if you want youtube picture in picture you gotta use safari it works there so if you okay. launch if you use the if you launch the website and uh you're watching a video on there if you go swap to your home screen the video will continue playing yeah um but um also there is the new siri design which yeah. is nice doesn't uh, take up siri- the entire screen again yeah, Siri no longer destroys your context and takes up the entire screen. And I know that as we go through this, Android users are going to be like kind of chuckling because they've had this feature for years and they've had all of these features for years. 
but um it's nice to see some parity between the two os's but uh the uh siri feature that i was talking about is that whenever you call siri up with the home button or whatever or the home whatever way you trigger it on different iphones because there's different ways to do it now um it'll show this little like icon in the bottom of the screen and whenever you and that's like the little orb that is siri or whatever Mm. and then you dictate your command to it and then it delivers you a notification in the top on your answer so if you ask for the weather it'll drop the weather down in a little notification or it'll drop like a link that you can click on in in a notification or it'll it'll allow you to see what you're what you were looking at on the screen before you called siri up which is super nice yeah so that way like you can like their their whole thing was context so that way like if you have if you're seeing something on your phone and you wanted to ask siri what is happening on your screen or like what this is you don't lose that context anymore when you call up to ask the question. So I think it's really cool. And also it looks neat too. And uh, the same thing also works on CarPlay. I don't know if you had noted, had known that at all. Mm-mm. So when you call, when you like trigger the, like when you trigger, I'm just going to say Shlomo because I feel like it's going to start triggering yeah. people's devices. Um, when you call Shlomo up on CarPlay, it does that same thing where it has the little orb in the bottom and then you can still see what's on the car's display, which is super important for navigation <laughs> if you're following GPS. So that's nice. Um, what else is there? It's compatible with all iPhones from the 6S and original SE and up, yeah, I so believe. This is great. So any any phone that already runs iOS 13 will support iOS 14. They didn't drop any support, which is uh, um, pretty much unheard of in every other phone. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get, I think, devices as far back as 2014 are going to be getting... Ridiculous. Or 2015 are going to be getting support for 2021 <laughs> software, which is nuts. Yeah. Um, one one uh, big thing, a couple other small tidbits. There's like hundreds of small little tidbits, but one big feature that uh, they're rolling out is app clips, which I've run into this a lot of times. Where you're, uh, let's say, at a coffee shop and they oh, have you an application. Lot, so. yeah. Uh, yeah, when they have like s- s- apps for like a coffee shop or a parking app. Um, when you're out and about and you're like, I don't want to download another app for just for this thing to do whatever. Um, I have already have enough apps on my phone. Um, or you just download an app and use it once and then you forget to delete it because you're never going to use it again. Uh, so they uh, came out with a feature called App Clips that lets you download just a tiny bit of the app. I think the limit is 10 megabytes. That's the max the app can be. Uh, but it let, just lets you do that one specific action, like uh, you know, um, setting a parking uh, mo uh, thing so that you you can just say, hey, there's my parking spot. I can pay for mm-hmm. it. it. Has an Apple Pay integrated into it. It'll notify mm-hmm. you. Uh, when your uh, parking meter is empty or if you're in a coffee shop here, you can just here do this quickly and, and do your points. And if you want to yeah. get the full like, app experience, there's a button within there that says, hey, download the full version of the app. Uh, but if you just want to do that one thing, uh, it'll download it 10 megabytes for quick. 
and you can do that one thing. So it's yeah. I don't I'm it's curious to see how uh, popular this will be throughout. Um, it's uh, I mean the, Android uses it through yeah. instant apps. Yeah, instant so apps. Yeah, I could see this being pretty widely adopted, and I think this would actually expand. This will have a positive effect in both ecosystems. I think. Yeah. Because I I think that it'll be very easy to translate what they're doing with the instant app and iOS over to an instant app in Android or the what's it called the app clips is what they're called yeah but um but yeah this is a cool feature i'm i'm, I'm always impressed with there's this. uh these ways to trigger it so you can get a qr code looking kind of thing um uh that also acts as an nfc chip so you can either point your camera at this thing uh, or just wave your phone towards it and it'll say hey here's an app clip just download it um, and get done what you need to do quickly on your phone. And, and typically, I was watching some videos um, released by Apple. They're like, typically, by the time you actually get that notification, the app is already downloaded. <laughs> like, yeah. it's that quick. Like, it's already ready to go. And you can yeah, share these app clips within, like, messages. Uh, so if you're going out to eat somewhere with your friends, like, hey, there's the app for this restaurant or whatever, Um you can get an app clip just for that. So yeah. it'll be interesting and, and quite useful um, uh, on the phone. And it, I, I've, heard, I've listened to a couple of podcasts discussing this, but uh, WWC overall, and, and one of them was like, you, how do you, this might be like perfect for like uh, Apple's AR glasses, but that's talking about like future yeah. <laughs> hypothetical products. But like, let's say you're walking in a coffee shop and then the AR glasses see this thing sitting on the counter. It's like, oh, look. And then it pops up in your AR glasses. Oh, cool. Like, that's what they're like. This could possibly be used for that because it's a small, tiny app and you don't have that much, you know, horsepower on a, on a smart glasses to, to run all that. Yeah. Uh, Apple's forcing 10 megabytes. Like, it yeah. has to be 10 megabytes at, at the yeah. most right yeah. yeah so this is a super super lightweight thing i could also see this gaining a lot of popularity in countries that don't necessarily have the same data caps that the u.s has or has lower speed caps so that way um they could get full app experiences in like global shops or chains like going to like a mcdonald's in india or something like that and you can use an app clip to pull up like the menu or the rewards program or something like that. And it will allow people with access to less data, the same or similar app experiences in uh, restaurants that have that, uh, that have the reach to implement those features. Uh, Cause I know iOS isn't really popular or isn't too popular in Asia as the, in terms of the number one mobile device, but yeah. I could see, app clips and instant apps and all that stuff gaining more adoption over there as a result yeah. um just because it saves you on downloading but um we've been glossing over one of the biggest features in this ios uh beta that? that that a lot of people have been asking for and i would argue some people have been straight up begging for uh especially a lot of android transplants into ios um and that, that is yeah, and that is third-party mail and browser apps are now be able to, are now able to be set as the default in I, in iOS and iPadOS 14, which is huge. So now you can install. It's less important on 
the uh, the iPad because you don't get the full desktop experience. But um, or on iOS, I mean. But you can have for browsers at least. But you can have Gmail now be the default mail address in iOS. So if you wanted to start an email with something, instead of it sending you to the mail app by default all the time, now it can send you to the Gmail app or to the Outlook app or to any other number of apps. Or you can go straight to a more privacy-focused browser or you can go to Chrome, the exact opposite of privacy-focused. <laughs> um it like enables you to have so much more flexibility with your device. Yeah. And um, even though uh, browser apps are a little bit uh, kind of shoehorned on iOS and iPadOS because they're basically just skinned Safari browsers, um, it's still nice because some of them do have features that are better than what the stock Safari app offers sometimes. Yeah. Like some of them have more features to them. So people who like those features now don't need to ever worry about the Safari app ever again. They can just set Chrome as default and call it a day. Yeah, and you can like sync huge. your bookmarks with whatever default browser that you're already using on some other desktop. If you don't have a Mac and you can't get Safari on there, you might be mm -hmm. using Edge or Chrome or whatever, or Firefox, and then you have your your bookmarks are not synced across. So this will be useful to like, hey, yeah. my books are on the, I can use the apps that are, that I already know that have all my bookmarks already there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this is big. Hopefully, they bring it to other types of apps in the future. I uh, they said I they're know. being super restrictive on the browser side of it. And first, they're they're like they're manual. I think they're manually reviewing every request. Right. Get, yeah, because they sure. don't want just some random app saying, "Hey, I'm a browser," and just taking yeah. over your browsing experience. Even though they're not technically a browser, they have to be like dedicated browser apps. So yeah. all the big ones, Firefox, Chrome, and stuff, and the same with Mail as well. And you yeah. can't just arbitrarily put this flag into your app. Say, hey, I, I'm a Mail app, um, <laughs> and uh, Apple will not approve those. Um, so they're being careful about it. Um, but I want like I want a default podcast app. I don't use Apple Podcasts. I use Pocket Cast. Let me make my default podcast app Pocket Cast. Uh, they I want said this that they're expanded. Yeah. I think they said they're looking into other ones first, but these were the de facto one and two of all iOS users. They were just looking at where the demand was and said that they're considering expanding into other areas. Um, there's a, there was an interview that Craig Federighi did, uh, Hair Force One himself did with uh, Marquez Brownlee, which is on YouTube and his podcast. So um, that was where he discussed that and went into a little bit more detail. Because Marquez was asking him if they were going to stop here or if their plans were to expand this uh, third-party support into other apps and other things. But they're they're taking it on a case-by-case -case situation from my understanding of what he was saying. Yeah. Um, also, uh, less important, but still kind of nice, um, some small, or not small, but some message, messages tweaks to the Messages app. Uh, it, it operates a little bit more like Slack now. and <laughs> Especially when you're in a group chat or group uh, iMessage. Yeah, there's finally uh, a solution for people who are getting spammed with text notifications in those family group chats and, <laughs> and want to quiet it down. Um, they've added mentions, so you can at mention somebody in messages. They've added pinned conversations, which I've actually used a lot, and I like it. Um, they've used inline replies. 
and there's other small things like in the keyboard you can do emoji searches and, and all that stuff yeah but um one thing about the pinned conversations that i've noticed i don't know if you noticed this but um when you when someone sends a message like you in a pinned conversation of shores the profile picture and stuff and there's mm -hmm. like a, a shows what the text was without you actually opening the conversation Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that the word the text comes from is actually from the mouth of the profile picture every single time? Because I no. have I have four different people in my things, and every time it shows up near the mouth of the person who sent that, that's where the bubble comes out of. I Weird. thought it was random, but no, every single time because I have like group chats of like other people, so every time someone talks their bubble becomes a little bit like bigger and then it shows that that's it comes out of their mouth and some pictures have like their mouth like up in the top corner bottom left or whatever um interesting <laughs> yeah the um the it's like the this little of touch of like what apple what are you doing <laughs> it's like yeah the, some the size of the... like oh this will be cool the size of the bubbles in the group chat pin conversations is in order of who is the most recent replier to, or the most recent one to send a message to that chat. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so now you can, in those group messages, if, uh, well, well, if anybody's pinning them in iOS 14, whenever they get it, um, and you get a lot of texts and you don't want to get notifications, you can now mute everything except for direct mentions to yourself. So that way, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, they can just at you in the group chat and yeah. you'll still get a text, but you don't have to mute everything. So that's super nice. Like if you're traveling somewhere and you, and you only want to be contacted in case of emergencies, you don't have to mute it and then forget you muted it. And then two weeks later, you're like, Oh my God, there's like 700 messages and they were trying yeah. to get a hold of me like four times. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then you can also directly reply as well. So you can like hold down on a message when you would normally like add a little reaction to it, like a thumbs up or a heart or whatever. And now you can just hit reply and then you can start a thread within that message. So yes, you're not clogging up the entire conversation with some, some side thing that you're, you and one other friend are talking about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There's a lot of stuff inside of iOS. You can yeah. go have an hour, entire hour show, just go talk about it. Um, we almost all, did. All, we almost did. Um, one thing that I wanted to add is to iPadOS, everything that we talked about for iOS in general is relevant for iPadOS, but one specific to iPadOS that I uh, really like is a feature called Scribble. So mm -hmm. now every time, so one, one of my problems when I'm using the iPad with a, a pencil is you're browsing through a pencil and using it for navigation. And when you uh, needed to type in stuff, um, you would tap the text field with the pencil or your finger, and it'll pop up this um, big on-screen keyboard. But now, um, any text field becomes a, a, a field that lets you just scribble in with your pencil that you already have in your hand the text that you want to enter. Um, any any text field becomes that way, so you don't have to have the full keyboard take over the screen. You already have the pencil in your hand. You're browsing your iPad with it. Hey, you just want to type this something quick in to the text field. Just scribble it in, and it'll automatically convert it to text. And mm -hmm. then you can do your search. Very useful feature, and it works across all apps as long as they have a text field. You, they don't need to develop any specific yep. features for it. 
uh, quite useful, and you can have. Yeah, they like, really they really overhauled the pencil and its use in native apps, which is yeah. nice. Yeah, and uh-huh. you can get like you know universal search. So uh, search looks like uh, Spotlight on the Mac mm-hmm. uh, now, but uh, not not uh, not that much specific iPad OS features, which I was kind of hoping for because now that they have like full mouse support. I was hoping to expand sort of like multiple Windows capabilities or something, make it like more like a full OS, but they haven't mm-hmm. gone that far. Um, yeah. But uh, this, seems, this yeah. seemed mostly focused on like context. Yeah. Um, they announced the next version of Mac OS, which is uh, Big Sur. Um, Big Sur. And uh, we can say goodbye to Mac OS 10 because they have officially. Turn it up to 11. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> done with the Mac OS X for all, almost uh, tw- exactly 20 years. I think 2001 yeah. is when Mac OS X came out originally. They also um, broke one of the pillars of design in, in Big Sur, which is they've re-added gradients to app icons. <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's a pretty big uh, design update. Um overall uh, uh, uh retooling of, of everything every mm-hmm. part of the os some people love it some people hate it i've seen some mixed uh, feelings about it on the internet as you do on the internet mm-hmm. um but uh yeah it's a, a pretty big move or next um chapter in, in mac os's yeah. life and it's like just a... by changing it to 11 you know signifies say hey this is pretty big from apple's perspective as well as uh, make it worthwhile to like finally moving to 11 i'm not continuing on 10 dot whatever it looks to Um, me like it's another step towards merging the experience between ios and mac os just kind of making things look the same across the board at first and then slowly making parity with more and more features as they go yeah because like every app yeah oh what were you saying no, they got like a huge overhaul of uh, a good number of apps and they use the Catalyst technology that get, lets them bring over iOS apps into the back uh, seamlessly. So now they fully brought over uh, Safari um, uh, maps and messages are now all Catalyst apps. So they're because okay. uh, there's been some disconnect in especially messages um between what the ios version versus the mac version now it's basically the same code base so you think you get all the same features but the ones on mac os feel like the same like a good mac os app they don't seem limited just because they're yeah um, based the on messages the messages app on code the messages app on mac seemed dated yeah it was definitely it looked like it had an old look to it the icon was like 10 years old it just felt like it hadn't been given much attention. And it's good to see that some of these Mac apps have been given attention. And, and they've like tastefully redesigned all the icons. The whole UI is different. Um, their big emphasis is on that context panel on the left, which is going to be present in, I think, every primary uh, first-party Mac OS app. So that way you have that same... It's almost like the left bar in Finder. For anybody who's familiar with Mac OS, like it shows you the folders, it shows you the the tags that you can put on yeah. your folders, and it's just the context, the most important things within every app is now found in this like left pane in the window, so that way um, you have quick access to all the primary features of of the app. 
yeah. which is nice. So it's it's a pretty nice update. It's pretty small, um, but I mean small in terms of like what it's offering, and in terms of outside of it's just redesign and making the apps look like iOS apps. Um, but it's nice. I'm impressed with it. And uh, let's see, watch OS. Not yeah, too much. Not too much. One of the big sleep ones tracking. is the sleep tracking and the hand washing uh, detection. Um, mm-hmm. You can now share face customization. So if you customize a face, a watch face a certain way, you can uh, share with uh, your friends. I like that. Um, nothing, nothing too big. TVOS overall, not a big update. Um, I have that installed as well because I said, like I said, I went full hawk and I installed <laughs> it on everything Apple that I own. Um, mm-hmm. There's some bugs here and there. Um, uh, whenever the Apple TV goes to sleep with YouTube in the foreground, uh, when you wake it up back up, YouTube no longer accepts inputs from the remote. So you have to close out, force close the YouTube app and then open it back up again. <laughs> of course, but, it's the YouTube app that you've yeah, had a bug with. Of course, of course. <laughs> uh, speaking of YouTube, now uh, it will support f- uh, 4K videos on the Apple TV, on your 4K Very Apple nice. TV. Previously, it was limited to uh, 1080p. Um, AirPods got a small update with spatial audio. It's coming later this year. So, um, and then also automatic switching between Apple devices so that yep. it's aware of what a device that you're using and will intelligently switch. So if you start uh, watching a video on one device and then you have to switch to another, it'll notice that, hey, now you're actively using this device. So it'll switch the audio uh, to that. And then the spatial audio, which will use uh, 5.1 surround sound and uh, put it into the AirPods and it'll also uh, follow your head movement. So if you're moving around, the audio source will stay in the front of you, but you can actually tell things moving around. It'll support Adobe Atmos as well. So it'll take that into account so that you get full surround experience with just yeah, two, two um, AirPods. Um, and also they're, the cool thing that I saw they're doing is that uh, since the AirPods aren't fixed speakers, they're going to try to figure out where the sound is coming from in the space around you and then adjust the sound as you turn your head. So that way the sound, when you turn your head, where when it was originally coming from your left is now behind yeah. you. Yeah. So that way like it rotates in a fixed position, but your head is able to still mm-hmm. move. And it's like, I think they're saying they're looking at the screen and then they're looking at the headphones, like gyroscopes Yeah. to make sure that if you're turning both, that like say for example you're on a bus and both of them are turning at the same time that it doesn't just do a false positive and spin your audio around um, just because your bus made a left turn or something like that yeah so that's pretty cool I'm I'm really impressed with that um, the, if it works yeah and the the Apple left the best for last uh, the rumors are true Apple is getting rid of Intel based Macs they're switching to um, their own uh, chips uh, that are similar to what they've been doing in iPhones and iPads um, for a very long time. And they're finally made this decision to uh, switch over uh, to their own design. They don't have to rely on Intel um, mm-hmm. releasing uh, hardware um, uh, processors um, and they'll be in full control over the entire experience. 
and uh, the entire demo, as it turns out, was run on Apple Silicon the, for the entire WWDC. So every time you saw a Mac uh, screen showing off Big Sur and all the different features, it was ro already running uh, on Apple Silicon. Um, and this could potentially be a huge move, not just for Apple, I think, but uh, the industry overall. Uh, mm -hmm. Microsoft tried putting Windows on ARM processors before, uh, was not successful. The experience was not there. Uh, and no. Apple is jumping in headfirst and bring in, they've said that it's going to be a two-year transition uh, to bring every single Mac product over to Apple Silicon, and that includes the Mac Pro Tower, which they just released that costs $50,000 if you select every single option. Yeah. I'm very curious of what Apple will be able to do with, let's say, a $50,000 Apple Silicon yeah. Mac Pro. Yeah, yeah. And, and don't take this as some kind of a, like, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't buy a Mac now um, because they're still supporting Intel chips for the foreseeable future those devices are still going to get updates and they so. said that they have uh intel max still to launch um yeah for the next couple of years but we'll it's uh they announced that at the end of this year they'll show off their first official uh apple silicon mac uh device for sale to consumers um i'm assuming it's going to be a laptop that might be bringing up back the mac uh macbook the super thin and light one um, but we'll see. Um, and uh, it'll be quite interesting as a transition, um, uh, analogous to the transition from PowerPC to Intel when Apple made yeah. that transition uh, quite a few years back. Um, they've, they're, they're like, yeah, we can, we can do these chips and these chips are quite powerful. I mean, the one in the iPad is, is running uh, higher benchmarks than a lot of uh, uh, MacBook Windows, Pros, MacBook Pros, uh, Windows laptops, and things like that. So these yeah. chips are quite powerful, and they're very efficient, uh, which is the chart that Apple boasted uh, a lot. Is they want high power and uh, and um, very very energy efficient. So there, it's not generating a lot of heat. It can run on hours on the same battery as before, or on a lot longer. So that's their goal is get better performing Macs and that run longer on the same battery. Um, so just imagine, you know, uh, 10 hours that you would get, hopefully, according to Apple on a MacBook Pro. Now you get like 15, 20 hours yeah. out of it yeah. with also while it's also performing at a, a, a higher uh, uh, speed. Um, yeah. And they've already brought over all their pro apps. So they showed Final Cut Pro and Logic uh, Pro uh, running and fully transformed over to the new Silicon. Uh, they announced uh, this is a developers conference. So they announced a lot, a whole bunch of tools that allows uh, developers to seamlessly bring over their apps to uh, Apple uh, they even, Silicon. Yeah, they even announced that uh, Microsoft and Adobe are also actively porting their apps over currently. Yeah, they showed a live working version of Photoshop and Lightroom. Native working. Photoshop. Yeah, native Photoshop. And um, 
and they have uh, versions of uh, Rosetta. So they, uh, Rosetta was the previous translation layer between PowerPC and Intel. Uh, now they have Rosetta 2 that allows apps that haven't been converted to Apple Silicon to still uh, run on Apple Silicon without being having to for the developer to do anything. And it's um, they actually show showed a game, uh, Tomb Raider, running mm-hmm. on Rosetta 2. Um, so that means that that game has not been ported over um, at all to Apple Silicon. It just runs directly from the App Store that you can get it right now without doing anything. And the performance looked just fine. It didn't look like anything uh, was missing. But uh, mm-hmm. it, the developers have the tools now to uh, bring over uh, their apps uh, that they have for previously um, Intel Macs. Do you wanna... And then they, uh, one thing that they announced is that um, now uh, iOS apps will just natively run without the app, a developer doing anything. Of course, they can add extra features just for macOS, but out of the box, it'll just run on. Do you want to, yeah. for, for people who may not be fully aware of the definition, do you want to just briefly describe the difference between how Photoshop runs now and what native Photoshop means? For people, or like, yeah, you know I'm talking about, yeah, the difference between natively and just having it, because Photoshop is existing already on Intel chips, and Macs currently, right, right, but and that's running natively on Intel. So when you do develop a program, it's the program for a particular architecture, and right now that's x86, uh, x64, which is. Um, the, the current uh, mainstream processors, all, the, all of them uh, work on that, on, or under that architecture. Um, and mm-hmm. now, is, now Apple's switching to a new ARM architecture uh, that, they, that is, was designed originally for mobile platforms um, like they have for um, the iPhones and iPads and all the Android devices all run ARM design chips. Of course, they're designed mm. by like specific companies like Qualcomm and stuff like that. But now these are Apple designed ARM uh, chips and now the developers will have to transform their apps so they work properly because not all the instructions are aligned between the two. So you have to yeah. do some um, rework of your app to get it fully optimized and running natively so that it's it's you don't have to do that translation layer uh, a lot of low level two. tweaks yeah low yeah. level tweaks so it runs faster runs more efficiently uh, on on apple silicon uh, devices yeah um, i'd be curious to see the uh the performance differences between yeah. native uh apple silicon photoshop and x86 photoshop yeah I'm i'd very... be curious to see the performance differences yeah It'll be an interesting couple of years for sure. Um, they did release a, a developer toolkit um, that is basically a Mac Mini with an A12Z, which is the same exact chip running currently on the latest iPad Pro. And that's the same exact chip that they used to run all these demos on for Big Sur and Final Cut Pro. They showed Final Cut Pro uh, four streams of 4K running at the same time <laughs> on a iPad chip. And the interview that I watched with Craig Ferry. Uh, um, saying was saying that this is what the Apple chip team can do without even trying. This chip wasn't designed <laughs> to be in a Mac Mini enclosure. This was designed to be in a thin iPad Pro with no venting at all, and yeah. this is what it can do. 
So mm -hmm. just to met, he's like, I'm not going to announce any new products right now because we're not ready for that. But just imagine what we could do if we actually designed a chip to run in a, a thicker laptop with a giant battery or <laughs> a full tower. With air cooling. Yeah, with fans. Yeah. Um, and Apple has a very storied history against fans, but they could get a lot more horsepower if once you once you can cool those chips off yeah so um you can get at this uh, development platform for mac with a mac mini uh, enclosure uh for 500 dollars if you're a developer to help you transition over to the apple silicon um and within the, all the documentation that gets released was like this should not be used as a benchmark this is not this is just a development platform this is not a real product you shouldn't use benchmarking tools because this is not what we're planning to release at all. It's not even close. Um, People are totally going to do that, though. Uh, they have already have. But, um, yeah, um, yeah they, there are some uh, Greek geek bench uh, benchmarks uh, leaked of this device already. Uh, but it's running under Rosetta, <laughs> under a transition layer, and it's actually already faster than certain Macs. <laughs> Just already <laughs> running through the transition uh, translation layer, um, but this will be quite interesting in the next couple of years, and will, um, I'm curious on how quickly they'll actually uh, get rid of um, all the Intel stuff um, because yeah. the the last transition was actually they the they said that the PowerPC the Intel one was going to take two years, but they actually did it in nine months. Um, it was faster than they originally planned, so I'm curious if that's going to be similar in this case. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> sort of spent <laughs> yeah. the entire show talking about it. Um, but um, it's quite a few things, even if you're not an Apple fan, uh, quite a few interesting things uh, released, especially yeah. on the silicon side, because it's, um, yeah. it's a pretty big move. Although, you know, Apple's not shipping that many Macs in general compared to the rest of the industry, this could be a huge move to like, because Windows have been, and, and Intel has been trying to get to the more, more mobile ultra light kind of space where they're trying to jam a whole bunch of stuff into um, these small thin and light devices with like built-in LTE and they haven't been so successful. Just imagine like a MacBook Pro with like similar to poor performance, if not more than an iPad Pro with built-in LTE like that. So like a crazy yeah. device like people will yeah. be jumping all over that if this yep. goes off successfully um because previously you just couldn't do that on an intel platform because there's just such yeah. a, a power hog that you would get like a 30 minute battery life and you can't and you would need like extra thick uh chassis and apple's not going to do that they're going to make not going to yeah. make their devices thicker uh no. just to accommodate for uh intel's crappy design <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which they haven't been uh, doing that well recently. Like they haven't. It's a bad time to invest in Intel. Yeah, they had, they've been they've been messing up for for years and years, and Apple's been sort of blamed for you know these thermal throttling issues. Like, okay, you can make the argument. It's like just make your computers thicker to accommodate that's like no apple doesn't want to do that those they don't want to adhere no. to people's other people's designs they're like we want to make the machines that we want to make and we don't want they anyone don't like, else dictating how we're going to make those machines and they, they don't can't. like other companies setting limits for them yeah 
especially because Intel has a lot of limits. <laughs> right now, they've been trying to get that to the new uh, fab process for 10 nanometers, trying to get their, their more efficient chips, and they just haven't been succeeding. Yeah. Um, AMD is e eating their lunch on yeah. multi-core processing. Uh, Intel is still the king of single-core processing, but um, I'm curious if, if Apple can outpace them on that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Intel is historically awful at competing and AMD, and it's just been, it's literally just been a matter of time before Apple separated its, its CPU architecture from x86. And because we've already seen it with Android going to ARM, we've seen it with Apple and iOS going to ARM. So Intel has all but completely lost the mobile chip market and now we're seeing that final transition from mac os so and last i checked um apple was a pretty big customer for intel and now apple is going to or intel is going to be completely losing apple as a customer over the next two years so <laughs> This should be pretty interesting to see what happens with Intel. Maybe this will finally force them to innovate. Or who yeah. knows, maybe maybe they can't compete. Maybe they're, for whatever reason, maybe they're just not able to get the talent that they need to innovate in the same way that um, AMD and Apple are now able to. So who knows? I mean, time will tell, but I still think it's kind of a, iffy time to invest in intel i'm no financial expert but this doesn't look good for the future yeah even if intel gets their um um shit together i don't think apple's gonna it's like oh yeah we're gonna just switch back to intel i think once they make this that this transition they're not gonna look back yeah um, and last time i checked uh companies that lose customers ten tend to not go up in stock value <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so We'll see. I mean, they still have uh, the PC community, like the like Dell and the, the 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 community of people building computers who need those single core processing. Yeah, but, but although more and more people are switching over to AMD on that side too, on when I you're have, building on your own computer, yeah. like uh, if if I was building a computer today, I would definitely pick in, uh, AMD over Same. Intel. If I was being honest with you, you just mm -hmm. get a better performance per dollar uh for what you pay for threadripper um, crushes hyper threading <laughs> i wouldn't it's... go with threadripper i don't have that kind of cash but um yeah, yeah. um you can get like a, a 12 core 16 core processor for the same price and you get an 8 core Intel. you can get a 24 core cpu from amd for less than the cost of like an i7 which is incredible. Yeah. Like that that kind of thread power and that kind of processing power is at the consumer level now. Whereas previously you needed multiple CPUs in order to achieve that, which is absolutely mind boggling to me. Yeah. So I think uh, I think it's it's a it's a dark it's a dark day to to be a investor in Intel. It'll be a dark couple of years too. But that's to be seen. Assuming Intel doesn't innovate and they currently remain as they are. Because I think Intel over their past couple of gens, and not, not to drag on this subject, but I think over their past couple of generations have only had like 
10, 5% improvement between generations. So, like, it's not going to be noticeable to anybody who has the 9th gen chip and is thinking of upgrading to the 10th gen chip. Like, it's really not a big leap anymore. Yeah. Whereas between the 4th and 5th gen, we're talking like 20, 30% gain on your computational power, which is incredible, but they haven't really been keeping that pace. So, like I said, remains to be seen. And we have uh, we have a couple more things to talk about. I don't know if you want to either save that for a later episode and yeah, do a deeper I mean, dive we on can, it. We can uh, talk about uh, the YouTube TV stuff because that's sort of directly affecting us and it's quite interesting. Um, yeah. We can Actually, yeah, I do want to talk later. about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll table uh, the rest of it. I got an interesting email, uh, I think last week. Uh, from YouTube TV, but we're, we're both active users of it, um, which is a, a, a new TV service uh, introduced by uh, YouTube that allows uh, you to watch live TV, local channels, all the sports. Matt, Matt can attest to all the sports that are available to it. It's very um, um, useful. You can get apps on all your devices as a limited cloud DVR and have this amazing introduction price of $35. And throughout the years, they've been slowly and slowly increasing that price uh, as they add more and more channels, right? Because they're creating initially mm -hmm. there wasn't everything available on top of it, but now you can get uh, pretty much every channel that you want. But as they've been adding those channels, um, if you watch them or not, they've been increasing the prices. So now, as was up until now, is uh, fifty, uh, forty nine ninety nine uh, for a month, uh, and they announced recently that it's now sixty four ninety nine. That's uh, quite a hike. Sixty five dollars uh, a month, and now we're talking. So the reason we jumped to YouTube TV because it's cheaper and also got you more features than your regular cable box. And, yeah. now, and now it's pretty much the same cost as regular cable. So, like, this I don't is, know why you would yeah. go with YouTube TV versus just getting regular cable if you're already paying, if you're going to watch TV anyway. Um, and for me, I don't watch 80% of these channels. So I wish they did, like, an a la carte a la yeah, they need option to, do like a, to, like, say, hey, to. I want this package of like these 10 or 15 whatever channels and i'll pay half the price or whatever it may be because i don't i'm not going to watch any of these other things like this new addition um they added viacom and cbs as part of their network and nickelodeon yeah i know nickelodeon but i'm not gonna i don't watch i go just watch spongebob somewhere else i don't need to watch live <laughs> on nickelodeon yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not an active, uh, uh, Nickelodeon watcher that also, I let's need be to honest, look at it the, live, but let's be honest. The later seasons of SpongeBob are not nearly as good as the initial seasons. So you can just get them somewhere else. But if they you want it or not, you're going to get this price increase to $64, $65. dollars uh, um, last time I checked, that's exactly why I left cable. <laughs> it's just, they kept adding on, like I could just for the same cost. I could just phone up Verizon and be like, hey, give me 4,672 channels or whatever the number is for the same cost instead of YouTube TV. YouTube TV has, I don't think, any right to be offering a price this high for what they're offering. Because especially coming from a sports perspective, not only do you have to worry about um, latency, but 
Also, some of the resolutions for sports are not nearly as high as what you can get on a cable package. So, like, you can very easily get 4K through cable TV sports. And it's more, and it's on a better stream. You're not getting a delay over the internet. And it's just, like, a generally better experience on, on cable. And it's at the point where... Because now, now that they're at $65, now I have to compare YouTube TV to cable. Which I hate. I'm so mad that this is the case. And it's very frustrating. And if we weren't, like sharing the account i would encourage you to switch to cable (laughs) yeah or we just go back to cutting the cord and get rid of youtube tv because like you said unless they offer some kind of an a la carte option like i don't need nickelodeon or viacom or pbs or whatever they're adding in i don't want it i (laughs) i liked youtube tv initially because it had the core group of channels that i watched and they have added some things that are nice, like they added HGTV and TLC and, and those channels midway through when they had their last price hike. And I thought that was good because that's those are like really popular channels. And more than likely, somebody in your household is going to want to watch something on either HGTV, TLC, whatever, or Food Network or something like that. Like those are very popular channels. But Viacom, Nickelodeon, and PBS are not really worth an extra $15 a month when I could just pick up a Netflix subscription for the same cost and have 500 times the content. <laughs> yeah. It's dumb. Yeah. It's really dumb. And yeah, it's kind of crazy. I think and like that, you uh, mentioned, like if I wasn't sharing it, because one of the important feature within YouTube TV is that you can um, do family sharing up to six members. Um, and uh, that includes three concurrent, concurrent streams. So it's somewhat limited if all six people want to watch TV at the same time. You can't do that, but um, we don't run into that uh, that often. But um, you can split the cost between six people. Um, they'll get access to everything um, within your family. That's what I do, and that uh, helps uh, you know with that cost. But if it's just me paying $65, I would cancel it um, right now. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I don't. I, I personally don't watch enough TV to justify that cost at all. Um, I, I rarely use it. I use it for live events mostly. I don't watch regular TV. Um, at that at that price, I could just pick up subscriptions to the sports that I watch. Yeah. For the same cost. <laughs> or what I would do is I would just. Uh, whenever the Disney plus thing rolls to the end of the year, I would just bump it up. And then then all of a sudden now for like three extra bucks or six extra bucks, I would have Hulu and ESPN plus. And I'm paying six extra dollars a month instead of $65 a month more. Because if my only, if the only thing keeping me to YouTube TV is sports, I can get that somewhere else. And I don't have to worry about YouTube TV being dumb. I was looking at other solutions. Um, Like I know that Plex has a built-in support for live TV if you get an external antenna and stuff. So I was looking Mm -hmm. at seeing what that would uh, uh, get me in terms of features and it'll pretty much only get me the local stuff. Um, um, But um, yeah, I was looking at other options that I can um, see that with all the stuff that I already have. yeah. And like, it's just, it's so dumb. Like I, I don't under, I don't understand why they're doing this because 
I think that all this is going to do is cost them customers. And I don't think, last time I checked, YouTube TV isn't that popular in terms of like yeah. being a de facto competitor to cable. Because there's other competitors out there that do offer a la carte, like Sling. And granted, Sling isn't the best. And also, PlayStation had View, which they just recently disbanded, which I'm kind of sad about because PS their PlayStation View was what I was using before we did YouTube TV. And I really liked it. It was a nice service. But they just didn't have the customer base to keep it going, so they shut it down. But it's just dumb. It's just so dumb. Like, I don't understand the need to do this. It's putting them in direct competition with cable companies, which have way more channels than they do. And it's just, I don't know. Sling has $30 a month. You can do orange or blue packages for 45 but Sling doesn't have all local broadcast stations, so it depends on where you live. Um, there's Philo, which is missing news and sports channels. Um, actually, you know what? At this point, if all you're missing is sports, just get a satellite dish. <laughs> and then you can pick up local sports. You mean an antenna, not a satellite. Yeah, an yeah, antenna, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Just get like a antenna, stick it in your office window or in like. The, That's what I was thinking the... about doing like for for the Plex thing, right? You can get mm -hmm. all the local stuff through the antenna. Um, a lot of times it's higher quality than you would get even over YouTube TV, mm -hmm. um, full 1080p. Um, and uh, it'll record. You can set up recording so you can record whatever you want. So I was thinking about doing that. Um, yeah. Because honestly, I just don't watch enough TV. Live TV, that is. If I wanted to watch a TV show, you could. You always have that option of like Hulu. They will watch it afterwards, which is still cheaper. I think it's like the cheapest is like 10 bucks a month or even less than that. If you want, mm -hmm. don't need live. Hulu does have a live option, but their live also is quite expensive for mm -hmm. Hulu live. Um, and it's just the, the cost of doing... Um, um yeah 54.99 for hulu plus live tv um that might be even a better deal because you get live tv plus the back catalog mm -hmm. of all the hulu shows um yeah there's i i want to do some more research um and maybe have an episode dedicated to cutting the cord in the future where we just talk about the options and mm -hmm. prices and just lay it all out for people. Because I think this is important, especially because YouTube TV is probably going to be losing a lot of people. And I'm actually no longer going to recommend it. <laughs> because there's been a bunch of people who I've recommended this to who have either picked it up or are planning on picking it up. And I'm going to be walking back and fully rescinding that recommendation. Yeah, because... A friend of the show, a regular uh, person, uh, Kyle, uh, recently uh, was asking around uh, within our friend group, what should, get, what should he get for his uh, new place uh, yeah. that he got? And we all recommended with uh, glowing reviews of YouTube TV. But I don't know if that uh, this new change will might uh, change this for him. Um, yeah. And he might just switch to like Fios or Comcast something um, here locally. Um, yeah, I'm not happy with it. It's just the cost, but, you know, it's, it's, it's all this, uh, there's all these 
you know, Viacom was expensive. They had to do some deal behind the scenes to get Viacom onto uh, the platform, and that has associated cost within. They're just passing that cost rather than eating it. They're just passing that cost onto the consumer, which I sort of get, but um, I don't. Um, um, if you're not going to watch these channels, why am I paying for it? That was the whole point of bringing um, TV onto the internet is that I can get. I just pay for what I want to watch and not worry about anything else. And this is a, this isn't it. This is not it. No. Um, um, so we'll see uh, what happens. I, I think that within the email they said that they're working on other options. Um, so maybe they're working on on uh, unifying or, or changing some uh, different or adding some different options for people who don't need all of this. Um, hopefully they're working on that, but they haven't released it. Um, I don't know how mm -hmm. long that's going to take. Um, but I'll continue to pay, um, pay for it. Like I said, I split it between a couple people, so that makes it fine um but if it goes um, so right now it's like 25 30 bucks ish a person depending and i think that if it if it becomes more expensive to split it between all of us than it originally costed when it launched i think we should jump ship yeah right now it's 21 points it's 22 bucks basically per person yeah because um, we split it three ways. Um, so, yeah, it's not that bad uh, considering no. what you get. Uh, but, yeah, if it was just one person doing this. If it gets to the point be. where we are all paying $35 a month, then I think we should drop it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, YouTube YouTube TV. Um, dead? Question mark? <laughs> I'm I'm curious because I see a lot of people post on Twitter. It was like, yeah, I'm canceling my subscription after this, yeah. um, or at least they they have a pause option as well. Um, so we'll we'll see uh, mm -hmm. what happens. I'm very very curious on on, on the future changes. Yeah, granted, I've I mean, been a member since 2017. Granted, uh, from you're the still... very beginning. Yeah, you're still probably saving money when you look at full cable packages. If you're like, if you're at this point for YouTube TV, I, I may say that the only reason why you would want this is if you want something portable that has access to sports. Yeah. Because the other sports subscription apps, you're going to have blackouts, which I didn't really think about. And then, um, which is the dumbest thing ever. And then, uh, also, um, there is this one line in an article that we have that'll be in the show notes is a 2019 study by consumer reports found that the average cable TV bill is $217 and 42 cents a month. So we're still saving quite a bit of money. Yeah. That's just wanted to put that out there, but $65 a month is the entry cost for a lot of cable packages. Um, so it's kind of, you're kind of running into a situation there where you're going to have some problems but um also i don't feel like running coax cable throughout my house <laughs> i just got done getting rid of the coax cable so yeah but uh mileage may vary keep an eye on youtube tv um i'm going to be more hesitant or not recommended at all anymore 
Um, but yeah, they're, it, it is what it is. It's, it's so depressing <laughs> that they just keep hiking it and keep hiking it and keep hiking it. You were the chosen one. You, were... you were supposed to bring balance. <laughs> you were supposed oh. to stop evil, not join them. Okay. Um, yeah, I think we should end the episode because both yeah. of us have, have stuff to get on to. Um, but yeah, so WWDC, we have a lot more stuff to talk about. So now we have to get together um, to do another episode again. Um, there's some stuff that we haven't mentioned. Like there's some rumors on the new iPhone. Um, there's some information about Microsoft. And there's some information on uh, data caps, which actually uh, we should probably mention that just because it's already passed. Um just because I can mention this in one sentence. Yeah. Um, anybody who had internet plans that may have been new or have noticed that your uh, your mobile provider has not been enforcing data caps, such as Comcast, uh, Mediacom, and T-Mobile, those companies are now returning or bringing back their data caps and their late fees. So... Anybody who has either missed a bill during COVID due to your situation, your financial situation, or has um, or has been using way more data than their plan allows, you should probably go back to your original routine because data caps are returning to normal um, as of July 1st, which is four days ago. So it's a little late on the news, but it's still enough time to fix your data usage if you're not a crazy data hog. <laughs> so just be careful out there with your data plans um, because they are back to normal. Um, but yeah, that has been episode 97 and we will see you guys in the next one.